Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It's your local community radio station for the last 48 years and one week. We've been uh, providing the independent news and music and community coverage to um, support the city where we live. My name's Andy and I'll be with you for the next hour broadcasting on Jagera and Turable Country and, of course, um, everywhere online, wherever you're listening, it's worth thinking about who um, was living in the place where you were before you came along and, indeed, who will be afterwards as well. Today on the show, I'm going to be speaking with Violet Coco and Colette Harmson, two women who have been very busy in recent years in environmental direct action. Violet, um, mostly in Victoria um, and then around the country, uh, blockading roads is part of a kind of um, originally Extinction Rebellion and then other kind of groups, but these same tactics of doing urban actions to try to disrupt everyday life to bring attention to the climate emergency. Colette's been based in Tasmania and has been mostly out in the forests trying to stop these forests being logged or in the case of Takina, trying to stop a coal mine being built there and other mines. Um, And both of them have a lot of experience. They've done a lot of dramatic actions and in the last year both of them have also had the experience of being sent to prison. Colette did a three-month prison stint from July until October of this year and Violet Coco gained a lot of media attention when last December she was sentenced to 15 months in prison. It was later um, overturned on appeal and she was given a suspended prison sentence instead. But through the course of today's show, we are going to talk about direct action for the planet, uh, the value of it, and the kind of philosophy behind it. We'll talk about the experiences of prison and of house arrest, which both of them have experienced as well. And we'll talk a bit about what the future looks like now that the state's been trying to shut these two women down, uh, what they're planning on doing. Spoiler alert. They're not planning on being shut down, but we'll hear more about that through the course of the show. Um, it was great to have a chat to both of them, and um, I don't often, actually, on the Paradigm Shift, 
to interviews where there's three of us all chatting together and so that was quite fun as well hopefully you'll enjoy listening to it i'm here to get into it now um talking to violet and colette Hi, I'm Violet Coco, and I'm here talking about our right to protest. I was one of the first activists sentenced to prison under the new 144G laws in New South Wales that were rushed through Parliament. Hi, I'm Colette Harmson. I'm a forest activist from Tasmania, and uh, I have a special interest in wildlife and preserving wildlife habitat. All right, and we're going to be talking about environmental direct action and about doing environmental direct action even when it ends with you in prison, which it has for both of you in the last year or so. So I'm very looking forward to delving into some of these uh, topics. But yeah, I guess to start off with, let's talk about the kind of direct action that you do and and what it means to you um, doing environmental direct action yeah for me um i guess i've been doing direct action for about five years now and it all began with really understanding how much danger we're in on our current trajectory that we risk the collapse of our livable planet and that um, billions of lives could be lost and um, the collapse of our, our civilization and I I thought that that was really scary and I was um, hoping that there would be more leadership in this area, but it seems that um, instead of sort of stopping emissions, our leaders continue to expand and create new fossil fuel projects and destroy forests. And so, yeah, I learn about civil resistance, which is a way when, I guess, governments fail to lead the people in a direction that is just a small selection of the population rise up and um, engage in acts of um, I guess being naughty uh, in say in Collect's case it's blocking the forest uh, stopping logging and in my case it's um, taking that that fight to the cities and blocking roads to kind of draw attention to uh, the fact that people's lives are in danger and that um, there isn't the political will to be shifting that in a way that is going to keep our community safe so mostly I participate in the kind of actions that stop traffic Um, I have done a few office occupations I have blockaded the forest but um, yeah most of my time has been spent on I guess talking to ordinary people by uh, stopping their day and engaging them in a conversation that I feel like they need to have even though sometimes they don't want to have it which can be quite um, difficult (laughs) what about you Colette Um, what is it that you do and why take direct action uh, well, I'm a, um, a full-time activist now in Tasmania and I used to be a veterinarian. Um, I studied veterinary science at the University of Queensland and I hoped that by learning about it I could help a little bit with the, the suffering of, of um, our wildlife and also help inform the government and people making the decisions that what they were doing was um, actually really threatening a lot of species Uh, but what I became quickly aware about was that um, 
basically um, the science was being ignored and um, pretty intense at the lack of action by our governments and then the way that they're complicit in the destruction of our um, fragile environments and also supported wholeheartedly by the legal system. And when I was last in, uh, in court, the magistrate told me that I was giving my middle finger to the judicial system, um, which is a bit ridiculous uh, when you compare it to the middle finger that the judicial system is giving to the entire climate emergency. So, yeah, I guess in terms of uh, movements for change, there's lots of different spheres to them and lots of different ways that people can be active in trying to protect the environment. And you two have both chosen direct action, um, arrestable civil disobedience, um, and to do it in a, a sort of repeated way. What led you to, to choose that rather than other parts of the movement? And I guess how do you think they all fit together? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm particularly keen on the direct action side of things. I, I believe that's where we can instigate some really important change um, uh, because we're out in the public eye and we're, you know, right in the face of, of people and the government has a, a bigger, has a bit more trouble ignoring us when we're right there in their faces but um but i i believe that we need all the tools in the toolbox we need um we need people writing letters and going to um rallies and phoning into the radio stations and the whole spectrum of action that can um that can help um i guess buoy people up and make them more um more empowered to take better um, better action and and more maybe even dip their toe into direct action get outside their little comfort bubble yeah i think um it's about appropriate response uh we've we've tried letter writing and we've tried one day marches and um yeah we've tried lobbying and basically we haven't been listened to and this is about using unignorable tactics in an emergency situation where lives are at stake and i don't think that signing a petition or getting a bamboo toothbrush is an appropriate response to the collapse of our livable planet i understand that you know, we have to bring people along an Overton window is just like the acceptable response to a thing. Otherwise, you, you seem crazy for doing this stuff. And so, you know, we try and bring people along by flexing their courage muscle of, of signing those petitions and, and doing those one-day marches to help build the movement. It's, those, those are all valid tactics because they're movement building. But at the end of the day, that I don't think that they're the appropriate response to the threat that we face. And ultimately, what we're trying to do in those actions is motivate people into their courage into taking action that's that's going to achieve change because if we don't do enough in the current situation it's it's not like we you know can try again in three or four years we we're at the end this is where you know we're tipping from global warming into global boiling so if we don't have enough people using unignorable tactics immediately then um you know we could just party like there's no tomorrow tomorrow Violet, you come from a 
kind of extinction rebellion tradition of these uh, actions blocking public roads in urban areas very high visibility whereas colette you act in a, a sort of different protest tradition of going out to forests and um, locking yourself to the physical machinery that is cutting down these forests I wonder if you could both reflect a bit on these different uh, traditions, maybe how they're different and, or, and how they work together. Well, I just have so much respect for the people who are on the front line of stopping the actual death machine, um, getting in the way of the logging or the mining equipment, um, you know, preventing just one extra day you know, with their body, that's all you've got at this point in such a failure of leadership is to stop the death machine with your body. And um, I think it's such an important part of what we're doing, but ultimately it isn't generating enough momentum politically. We have to hold power and have conversations outside of just blocking the fossil fuel industry or blocking the logging because that conversation is only with the industry that's engaging in that destruction and extractivism. It's not engaging in a political, um, you know, platform. It's it's a delay tactic. And so that's why I think it's important that we're taking our protests from um, out of the forest and into the streets. That's what our democracy needs. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's about holding power um, in such an... A, a, intense situation so i think that's the main difference what do you think colette yeah i think that's um that's pretty accurate uh another thing is with the forest actions we're out trying to demonstrate that there is illegal logging going on so what is perceived to be um the business as usual forestry tasmania approach a lot of the time they are logging in um areas where there are uh swift parrots nesting and things like that and and so far they seem to have gotten away with wide-scale logging of those um, areas where um, swift parrots and other endangered species are heavily reliant and I think just uh, yeah going out there and and saying this is illegal logging you can't be doing that um, to send a message to I guess yeah the government the logging industry but also politicians and also um, with social media to the larger community it's it's so hard to get media though doing those actions out there isn't it colette like you know the difference between blocking a major freeway in terms of the attention that you get and blocking in the forest is it's it's heartbreaking because you want to bring the attention to the fact that the swift parrots are disappearing and and um but it, yeah, it, you know, as someone even doing office occupations in cities where the media doesn't even have to travel an hour to get there, it's still really hard to get attention unless you're being disruptive to people. It's unfortunate, but that's, yeah, that's what I found. Yeah, that's so true. And even um, even in Tassie, when we um, when we go into say Forestry Tasmania's office um, and cause a disruption there, the media aren't the mainstream media aren't really interested. So yeah, I mean, we just need more people, um, more enthusiasm, more direct action. And now both of you have done these kind of non-violent direct actions and obviously been part of movements to organise it, but also as individuals done them repeatedly to a point where, um, I mean, both of you have been sentenced to prison. Uh, Colette, you served yours while it was overturned, but still a suspended prison sentence. But um, 
I guess I want to know the thinking behind that of just doing it repeated actions to the point where, you know, became possible or likely that you would be sent to prison. What's the theory behind that? I guess there are a lot of people getting arrested and like we talked about, the um, people are ignoring the situation. Uh, so for, for me, I felt like ramping it up a little bit and because I'm, um, I don't have um, big commitments in my life right now, I thought it was okay for me at this point in time to keep pushing until I did receive a, a jail term because um, to, to demonstrate just the ludicrousy of, of it and um, while I was in jail the, the other inmates just thought it was the strangest thing that a peaceful forest protester would get sentenced to a jail term um, especially given that everybody knows that there's a climate emergency going on. Yeah, I um, I did come from it from a you know strategic position of studying movements in the past that have been successful in using civil resistance as a as a tactic to shift political will, um, and uh, I noticed that um, I guess n no movement had really done it without people going to prison, and so I felt like you know. It, to me, it was sort of a, a um, math equation of well, if we're being annoying enough that they're going to try and fight us, you know, this industrial complex that has perpetuated the fossil fuel industry has already murdered plenty of people. I'm, I'm sure that they would, if I was being annoying enough, that they would send me to prison. And um, and this is a conversation I was sort of having three to five years ago, and then. Um, and so, yeah, much like Colette, it was, it was like, well, the appropriate response is to engage in civil resistance until the point where they are sending us to prison. Um, I, at the time when I sort of decided to take that strategy, I was looking at starting a family and realised that that wasn't a trajectory that I could take if I was going to be an activist in this way and so um, myself like many other um, young people or people around my age are, are sort of making this decision not to have kids um, in fear of what is going on with the climate emergency and wanting to you know be able to provide um, their time to protecting the kids that are already here so uh, yeah, I just set myself full time on this path of engaging in civil resistance and mobilizing and um, and in a way accepting that they would put me in prison as a trajectory gave me the power to be courageous enough to do the actions like um, the burning pram and and all these other things that um, that have led me to um, 35 arrests now for the climate and ecological emergency. In some ways, um, for both of you, making a conscious decision to do that, it's, you know, risking your sort of liberty and, and certainly your comfort um, but also it is kind of putting yourself out there as a, a kind of public figure in quite a contested public space where not everybody's likely to be on your side. How did you feel about that, putting yourself out there and how has that experience been? Well, I think, you know, again, looking through history, the suffragettes were not liked. Um, you know, even Martin Luther King wasn't liked. Uh, by certain people, you know, it was 
uh, I knew that being effective wasn't necessarily, you know, the same as being liked. I'm not trying to be a politician. I'm not trying to get elected. I'm just trying to sound the alarm. And I know what people do to alarm clocks when they wake them up from a heavy sleep. And, um, and I guess I'm prepared to be that. I'm prepared to walk that path if it means saving lives. And um, it's been really intense. A, a sort of shocking moment for me was when Sky News had an entire 20-minute panel on how shit I am <laughs> or whatever um, and things like that. But also the support, obviously, there's so many people who are so grateful for what we're doing, who understand and um and that support has been well overwhelming and um, and it's a real honour to actually, yeah, be here and be doing this and be so connected and know so many people throughout the movement. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the point in which there are so many of us who are willing to be this courageous that we become anonymous again. <laughs> what about you, Colette? Yeah, I like that last idea that Father Coco just shared, but... Um, I think if people don't like what we're what we're doing, I think that probably means that we're being effective um, because you know we're not taking on the popular jobs and growth, and everybody's going to have a, a house and a car and fuel forever. We're we're um, fighting that narrative and kind of talking about a space where we need to. Um, change a lot of things really fast and um, the fact that people take a lot of dislike in in people who are pushing for that um, means that there must be something something in it I think and I look at um, Bob Brown and uh, how many people just hate him with a vengeance like they come oh I hate that guy and it's it just blows me away but it also makes me think that he must be very effective to have that many people frustrated with what he's doing well i think we're at that point in the conversation where we talk about going to prison um obviously it's a not something that we generally grow up thinking that we'll do or think is a goal in life or something and i guess there's a lot of fear around prison and that's the point of prison so i'm interested in talking about um, your experiences of it. Maybe we'll start with Colette to talk about what was the experience of prison and the court system and everything actually like? Yeah, I guess um, I, I really never thought I'd end up in prison um, being introduced to the legal system and the magistrate's courts and having um, a lot to do with police and, and that sort of thing. It really opens your eyes up to the way um, these systems operate and uh, I guess being in prison itself um, for me was not a, a, a negative experience. I enjoyed the company of the other inmates and um, made a lot of friends and um, I guess the magistrate actually said quite publicly that he, th he hoped um, I'd learn my lesson by going to prison for three months but I think if anything it's given me more resolve to keep doing what we're doing um, in order to make a, a better, safer, more friendly planet. What about you, Violet? Yeah, so I've actually been to prison four times. That's It's not well known, but um, we did a whole campaign around the jail, not bail, and not signing bail conditions that um, prohibited us from protesting. 
And so, uh, yeah, I've spent not still not as much time as Colette, but I've been to a few different prisons um, for a few short stints. And it's an awful system. And something that's really clear is that when you're in there, you realize that the women in there mostly just need help. Um, and that's what they are asking for. A lot of them are asking for more support services, some more mental health support services, and, um, and they're not getting it in there. And so to witness the system of injustice on the inside further deepens my commitment and resolve to um, shifting our system and um, creating a world where there's more justice for all members of our community. Um, in saying that, though, I think one of the things that prison does is it dehumanizes you. It it um, it separates you from the people that you love, and that's also what happened with this whole case. I was also on four months of house arrest, and so um, the greatest weapon of the state when it comes to stopping activists, they call it strategic incapacitation. So the police actually you know, have strategies in place to incapacitate protesters to limit our effectiveness in democracy. And they do that with psychological trauma of um, separating us from our loved ones, from making us feel fear, having high cortisol levels, their whole uniform, the whole process of going to court and this person who sits above you and judges you for trying to protect the world. And, and so when their greatest weapon is separation, we have to hold close in our hearts that our greatest strength is to be connected with each other and to be learning to work together. And so I, I like Colette experiencing the system only strengthened my resolve that um, we need to be working together and reaching across this beautiful continent and globe of ours to unite our voices against the fossil fuel industry and against the military industrial complex against extractivism and colonialism and create a great turning into a world where we we have a livable trajectory like you mentioned there violet um prison does isolate people and that's part of its aim and that's why activist movements have often put a lot of work and effort into um prisoner solidarity i'm wondering um if you felt isolated or if you felt solidarity while you're on the inside or in the system and what difference that solidarity made yeah i mean like like violet just said um uh, the strategic incapacitation is is a really severe thing, and uh, my isolation uh, was felt most when I, I I spent about a year and a half. I wasn't allowed to go more than thirty k's from my home, and for part of that time, I had to be in my my home between ten p.m. and six a.m. and um, yeah, it really did. I felt very isolated and incapacitated by that because I couldn't attend uh, things. I couldn't visit friends. Um, I had to be home in bed at a certain time and the police would come and knock on the door of my caravan and make me show my face so they knew that I was was actually there. And, uh, yeah, that was really, really isolating um, compared to my experience in prison where... Um, I had a great the great support of the Bob Brown Foundation behind me and they and Violet Coco and all the people that encouraged uh, people to write letters to me, which was really um, a really 
lovely and warm way to support someone in that situation where you can't just pick up the phone or check someone on Facebook and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the solidarity of the groups that you're part of can make or break you. I think what I'm really hearing is that prison, it's this big sort of flashy word that the media can latch onto, um, but before you get sentenced to prison, there's a whole lot of activists at the moment, not just Colette and I, who are experiencing this strategic incapacitation through bail conditions. I think that's the real injustice going on here and that we need to expose. And and those bail conditions are like quasi-house arrest, police checkups, um, having to report to the police station, all that sort of stuff. And... Um, yeah, I think that that's definitely the hardest part to get through. And, and that's part of the reason how Colette and I found each other is that, um, you know, maybe the movement was still sort of catching up on how to take care of each other in those situations. But as soon as I was put into house arrest, Colette obviously already had had that experience and was able to um, reach out to me and we became friends through that. So, um yeah, I think as hard as it is, you know, we all have to have our own fortitude when going through the repression. You know, it's, um, it is difficult. But if you reach out, the, the connection in the community is there to support. And I uh, know I felt that, and especially with you, Colette. Thank you so much for calling me up. Really appreciate it. <laughs> That's okay, Violet. I'm just really pleased that we um, found each other and uh, could support each other and hopefully spread that kind of community and compassion but also passion um that is yeah that's really great to hear and a really inspiring reminder i think particularly we talked about i guess movements and the roles for different people and i think for people who do believe in direct action bold um you know in their face direct action but maybe aren't able to do it for time commitments family whatever health you know that actually solidarity is a really valuable role as well oh yeah i mean you know i always say for every one person being arrested there's a support team of 10 to 20 people around them who are doing that that work of um yeah the regenerative culture the legal work the media all that sort of stuff and um uh, yeah, you, you just really couldn't do it without that, that support and that network. So even if you can't be on the front line, there's plenty of people who can't do exactly the role that Colette or I do, but there are plenty, plenty of ways to support people like us doing them. And even just being in the room, you know, sometimes we're about to do something super courageous and are full of fear and there's only five of us in the room planning to do it and having that one extra body just around being like yeah you can do this can make all of the difference even if that's all you're doing is being a cheerleader come along turn up to the meetings yeah i agree with that also um yeah the importance of the other roles um we always tell people that yeah you ne you never have to get arrested if you don't want to um, but what often happens is like people take on roles that are you know essential for any action and they start understanding the system and the way the legal uh, why the police work and that sort of thing and then suddenly they're like I want to do it and it becomes something that they're able to take on as well um, just by joining in and, and finding out more about what happens. Now both of you 
have been in context like many people across Australia have in recent years, actually, where governments have brought in new laws specifically targeted at environmental protesters. Um, in New South Wales, there's obviously the Main Roads Law, which uh, Violet, you broke. and But also in Tasmania, after a long time of trying to bring it through, they got through a kind of aggravated trespass law. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on how to deal with uh, these kind of repressive laws, uh, what kind of things we need to be doing in the face of that um, government targeting and repression? Um, I guess that comment reminds me of uh, what some of the magistrates in London courts are doing and they're saying, you know, these people are our future and they're standing up for our fu the future of our planet and they're choosing not to apply the really harsh conditions that they could apply if they wanted to. Um, so I think um, there's a chance that, you know, the legal system might catch up and might stop giving their middle finger to the entire climate emergency and maybe uh, understand that they can have a role, yeah, by not um, giving us the harsh the harsh laws that are uh, imposed. In Tasmania, we have um, the aggravated trespass. It basically gives the magistrate the ability to um, give higher charges for offences, but also, you know, impose those, you know, bail conditions and good behaviour bonds and and suspended sentences and even jail terms um, that are a lot harsher than they have been in the past. And uh, we're seeing them starting to um, charge people a lot more for pretty simple acts of civil disobedience and uh, yeah I think um, maybe we can educate them to try and uh, try and be sympathetic to the saving of the planet rather than protecting big business. Yeah well I say um, flood the courts, fill the prisons. Um, <laughs> I think you know, this, the fact that they are legislating to uh, shut us down is a sign that activists are being loud and are starting to be loud enough. Um, the, you know, Australia is the third largest exporter of carbon emissions. We have an in incredible responsibility here to stop being the drug dealers of fossil fuel industry around the world. And, and we have so much privilege here and a it's, it's very doable for many people to engage in civil resistance and being afraid is, um, is, is not the end of the conversation with yourself. In fact, courage comes from feeling your fear first and then stepping into it anyway. And, um, you know, there are many people who are vulnerable parties who, um, you know, even though they have a dignity of risk to make that decision for themselves, um, obviously would not be the first people that I would encourage to step onto the front line but there are many people who do have a lot of privilege and um, and can step into that position especially you know your first one you tend to get a no conviction not always but you do tend to get a no conviction no penalty for your first one anyway I think if you any kind of sort of regular Joe person then give it a go and stand in civil resistance against the murder of our planet I mean, you two have been at the kind of pointy end of, of state repression um, with both, you know, dealing with new laws being created and then um, prison and media and whatever. Has it slowed you down? Since my um, 
my sentence in prison. Um, I currently have a six-month suspended prison term. So I, I'm I'm very involved in the forest actions and other uh, direct action in Tasmania. I'm just at this point in time avoiding uh, getting arrested because that would be a six-month jail term that maybe I can uh, save up for a, a time when it will make more of a difference. I think that's really strategic, Colette. Um, there are times when we step into resistance and there are times when we step back. And, um, yeah, while I was after the Harbour Bridge, as I said, I was sort of on a quasi-house arrest for quite a few months and I definitely slowed down at that point. I, I would consider myself having been in a, a burnout state um, where I really couldn't do much at all. And, um, and I think, you know, it's really important to acknowledge that a lot of people who do this work um, do reach a point of burnout because it seems so important and obviously it is so important and that's why we just keep going and keep going and those that care keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and find it really hard to find boundaries but um, we do need to set boundaries and care for ourselves and, and engage a regenerative culture and um, keep each other in check about that and you know, some days I'm better at that and some days I'm, I'm not as good at that. <laughs> but in terms of slowing down on a, on a macro scale rather than a micro scale, I feel like uh, right now things are, are actually gearing up rather than slowing down. And uh, even though, you know, um, some of us, you know, aren't exactly, uh, Colette's not doing, sitting in there locking on. I know that Colette's like doing other things that support other people doing that work. And that's what's important is that right now on the front line of civil resistance, more and more people are being engaged. I can see the movements reconnecting and regrowing after lockdowns. And, um, and I'm really excited because, yeah, it's building and that's exactly what we need right now. Yeah. Um the, I think it's an important point about self-care because, uh, yeah, burnout it happens to a lot of people and it, it's debilitating and it can cause people to walk away for good because they have such a negative experience with it. Um, and I think don't feel guilty about taking some time out. Don't feel guilty if you need to lie in bed all day and just not think about anything because... Um, you can only be as effective as the, the energy you've got ready to, to put in, into it. I would like noted that we're not slowing down because of state repression. We're slowing down because of our own goddamn too much commitment and love for this project and this planet. Like, you know, we're not here being like, yeah, I'm really afraid of the police, so I'm going to stop doing it. No, we're like, ah, oh, I just keep like doing too much work, actually. And that's the only thing that might slow me down sometimes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they do slow down. They've got a bit of power, don't they? They, they do. It does get to you a bit, you know, the repression and things like that. But that's right. We've got to work through it. No, you're right. It does. It does affect you. And, you know, they're designed to do that. But as a whole, I think when police use hyper-repressive tactics on people... Um, it engages what's called the backfire effect and, and causes more people to be outraged at the system and, and is mobilising. And that's part of the strategy around continuing to engage in civil resistance to the point of um, prison is that, you know, it does make people outraged because they can they don't think that it's fair that 
people who are protecting the environment are put in prison and so it highlights that and maybe they can't see that with the house arrest and they can't see that with the bail conditions but prison is something that they can understand and so that's why when I went to prison you know we saw the largest protests around this country um, since the COVID pandemic had started like it was sort of kicked things back into gear and, and that's the backfire effect coming into play. Both of you um, being women in this space of uh, like direct action, often physical confrontation and um, all kinds of things, I guess, where women's experience is different to men. Um, I'm interested in asking about that, how you think it's different being women in these spaces than uh, it might be for being men. From my experience talking to other the other inmates at the um, Mary Hutchinson's women's prison at Risdon, Definitely, there was a sense of community with the with the other women inmates that um, hearing stories about the men's prison, which is right next door, um, I think probably isn't as um, evident in there. And, uh, you know, there was a bit of solidarity and, and people weren't afraid to, you know, show their emotions and cry and hug and things like that. And um, from what I can understand, that's not as um, uh, forthcoming in the men's prison. So I think in that way... Um, being a woman in the women's prison, at least in Tasmania, has some positive attributes that maybe don't exist elsewhere. Yeah, I, I remember when I first joined the climate movement, just being so shocked and in awe and excited and happy about how many powerful women were around. You know, it's, it's really mind-blowing. I was like, oh my God, here they all are. This is where all the women have been. Um, and it's not a surprise to me because this work is really hard work and women are often, you know, take on the dirty labour of the community and, um, and you know, that is a lot what this is. It's a highly sacrificial. It, it takes so much time. It's hard. It's facing oppression. It uh, requires a lot of community building and connection and collaboration, um, which has all been essentially women's work for a long time, that community building stuff. And I'm not saying it should be, I'm just saying that that has definitely been put in in our basket. And so, yeah, I think that it's really important that women's voices are centred in the climate movement and especially uh, women of colour because, um, you know, they are the ones that are going to experience cli climate breakdown the hardest and, and the first. And so when resources become scarce, fascism arises and, and, and people of colour and women uh, lose rights. And so, yeah, I, uh, I think it's only right that it is the women that are standing up and, um, and engaging each other and finding ways to create a better world together. All right. Well, to finish off with, I guess let's talk about what's next. It's been a big 2023 for both of you. Um, looking into the future, what does your uh, actions to try to protect the planet look like? I guess what I'm really looking forward to in the hopefully very near future is a, an end to native forest logging in Tasmania and, and around Australia. And I will heavily campaign towards that. And also the Takaina Tarkine area that is so 
absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful rainforest. Um, I'd like to see a, a national park there as soon as possible um, to protect some of that absolutely amazing forest. For me, uh, I'll be, uh, I'm coming to Tasmania over January to have, have a little protection of Takaina as well. I think it's so important. I've been to that space and, and that ecosystem and it is just gorgeous and to flood it with the off water of a mine is just, it's, it's just a crime. It's absolute crime. So we'll be heading over there. And, um, and then in March, Extinction Rebellion are hitting the streets again in Melbourne, Melbourne Nam. The reason I mobilised with Extinction Rebellion is because they seem to be the only ones on the street who uh, have a, a really robust theory of change to fix our democracy, um, and that's with Citizens' Assembly. So check out ozrebellion.earth to get involved with Extinction Rebellion. And I am championing a action series, a national action series on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, Rebels Rising. It's going to be superheroes, cosplay for climate, superheroes blocking roads. Yeah, I just uh, really can't wait to have a, a really fun and silly day in costumes, engaging in protecting the planet in every city around the co continent. And uh, and then I, I know that also on the calendar is um, Rising Tides doing 10 days of action blocking the coal port in November as well. So I'll definitely be participating in that. Yeah, I would also like to mention... Um that there will be um, some forest marches, I think, all around Australia in March. Um, oh, yeah, March for March. Yeah, March for March. Um, the Bob Brown Foundation will have information about that on the website or the Facebook site. All right. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with us, Violet and Colette. Thanks for having us on, Andy. It's been really yeah. fun. Thanks, Andy. Violet Coco and Colette Harmson there, um, both of them. It's been a big year, 2023, um, of courts, prison, um, public, being in the public spotlight and also um, trying to keep the, uh, the focus on the environmental crisis that we're currently living through, that one's living out in the forest but also in our atmosphere as the um, only more and more greenhouse gases get emitted. And it was really great talking to both of them about what they do. Really amazing ultimately to hear the joy and passion that came from both of them despite everything, all the hard work that is involved in what they do and I hope it has been illuminating for you and also inspiring because let's face it, our environment needs all the help it can get and so um, those two, they're, they're doing their best at, but there's plenty of opportunities for other people to get involved in the movement for change. There's all different um, roles you can play and so... Um, let's make 2024 a big year of trying to fix some of the problems with this system that we live in. That is about all we have time for in the Paradigm Shift. I'll keep uh, be back in 2024. I'll keep trying to bring you the news of people trying to create change from your local neighbourhoods around the country and around the world. And so I hope you keep tuning in. I'll see you next week.